This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of Madalena and the Dark by Julia Fine. Madalena and the Dark is a novel set in 18th century Venice at a prestigious music school about two girls drawn together by a dangerous wager. You have 15-year-old Louisa, a young girl who has only ever wanted one thing, to be the best at violin. She has peers, but she does not have friends until Madalena. But Madalena has a secret. She's hatched a dangerous plot to rescue her future her own way. When she invites Louisa into her plans, promising to make her dreams come true, Louisa doesn't hesitate. The girls are drawn into the decadent world outside their music school and must decide what they truly want and what they're willing to pay for it. This book has all the things we love, female friendship, women with boundless desires and secrets, music and magic, all in a beautiful Italian setting. Get Madalena and the Dark, narrated by Sophie Roberts, wherever you get audiobooks today. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Andrea Bartz. Andrea is a Brooklyn-based writer and editor. Her debut thriller, The Lost Night, received starred reviews from Library Journal and Booklist and was optioned for TV by Mila Kunis and Cartel Entertainment. Her second novel, The Herd, was named a Best Book of 2020 by Real Simple, Marie Claire, Good Housekeeping, and Crime Reads. Her third thriller, We Were Never Here, was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick and an instant New York Times bestseller. It is now in development at Netflix. And her latest, her fourth, The Spare Room, is out now. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. 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 So welcome to Pop Fiction Women. We are so excited. Why don't you start just by giving our listeners sort of the elevator pitch for The Spare Room? Yeah, absolutely. So in The Spare Room... A down-on-her-luck woman early in the lockdown moves in with this enchanting couple. Uh, She finds herself falling for them, and eventually they open up their marriage for her. At first, she really loves being a part of this sexy new world, but when she discovers that their last lover is missing, she begins to wonder if they might actually be dangerous and if she could be next. So it's Mm. sexy, it's suspenseful, it's um, kind of gothic and and claustrophobic, and I hope it's a lot of fun to read. Oh, it is. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we always like to start with the female protagonist. Um, And when we meet Kelly, she's in a bad place. Mm -hmm. Her fiance just, and I love this is a quote, pump the brakes, which I just love that, pump the brakes on their wedding. And she's trapped in a small apartment in Philly where she knows no one. So tell us about Kelly, your development of her, maybe what inspired her or any challenges you had writing her character. Yeah, absolutely. So the entire book was sort of inspired by my own experiences. There were no missing people. There was no thruple. There was no none of the really salacious stuff, but at its most bare bones level, I myself, early in lockdown, was living in a 380-square-foot studio apartment with my cat, and they were jackhammering on the balconies still every day. (laughs) And so I was going bananas and ended up accepting a friend's invitation to move in with her and her husband and their toddler outside of D.C. And um, it was quite similar to kind of how it happens with Kelly. It was an old high school friend that I'd kind of lost touch with. We sort of rekindled a friendship in those you know, early days of lockdown when we were all just filling our time however we could. You know, she just sort of said, we could use another, we would love some company. We would love a new person around here. We've got space, we've got a pool, just come stay with us. So 
you know, in, in that very basic sense, Kelly is me. Obviously, she's in an even worse situation because she, right before the pandemic, moves across the country with her fiance. She quit her job because her old, you know, her old company sort of balked at the idea of her working remotely. Right. A little ironic. Pre- uh, always, mm-hmm. yes. And then she's, you know, in a new place, on lockdown, kind of losing her mind. So... I knew that her situation, she had to kind of start from this really low point, but I also knew that I wanted her character journey to be about starting out very much thinking that she wanted to be a wife and eventually a mother, and she wanted the 2.5 kids and the minivan and the McMansion and just sort of the whole like heteronormative starter package. So she's very committed to that at the beginning of the book. And then throughout the course of the book, she starts to like learn new things about herself. She discovers her bisexuality during the pandemic, which also mirrored my experiences. Her sort of desire for motherhood, she begins to find that it's cooling and she begins to, you know, recognize like, wait, maybe all of the things that I thought I wanted weren't actually, I never actually questioned if those desires were coming from me or if I was just sort of accepting this like mash game prophecy that was handed to me from the time I was young. (laughs) So it was really fun to sort of chart that in the course of a suspense novel when I think it felt familiar in a way to a lot of us that during the pandemic, we had been so busy for so many years and just, you know, flying from thing to thing and, you know, just a million activities in a day. And all of a sudden we like hit this wall and, you know, all of life hit this pause and we sort of looked around and we woke up from this trance of busyness and we thought, wait, like my life doesn't actually need to be what I was doing. Like I actually have maybe more agency and now I have this like moment of kind of quiet to listen to the inner voice and figure out what I actually want. And, you know, I'm sure you also know tons of people who got divorced during the pandemic, who uh, moved cities, who Mm -hmm. got back together with someone, like all sorts of these big life changes and upheavals. And I just wanted to capture that sort of unprecedented opportunity to reinvent yourself and like get to know yourself again. And even quote unquote, later in life, even in your mid thirties, be discovering these huge elements of your personality and your desires and your yourself that you didn't know. So that was sort of the, the driving force for me as I was figuring Kelly out and figuring out how she was gonna change over the course of the novel. Yeah, I mean, that was my next question is really you can't talk about Kelly without talking about the pandemic because her journey is completely born of that moment that we all understand. And I didn't so much reinvent myself, but it was still a period to re-examine things and go, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because you can always do that, even if you don't need to change anything big or, but taking those moments to re-examine, like, Am I still on the right path? Is this where I'm going? Is this where I want to be going? But as you said, Kelly is very much in that moment. She is taking this pause to really investigate those things for herself and try new things. So because you can't separate Kelly from that moment that we all experienced, did you always intend this to be a pandemic book? Was that right from the start? You knew that had to be a part of it. That's a great question because actually when I first pitched this book to my editor, It was not during the pandemic. It had a lot of the same elements. The setup was similar. She's moved to a new place. She doesn't know people yet. 
you know, the fiance calls off the wedding or pumps the brakes on the wedding. Uh, and so she decides to move in with, with these people, accept this invitation. And the reason that I didn't want to set it during the pandemic was that this was still, I believe, late 2020. And everyone was still saying, uh-huh. oh, my God, I never want to read a book yeah. about the pandemic. Yeah. I cannot wait until it's over. Right. There mm-hmm. is a reason that there are no books set in, you know, 1918 yeah. to the Spanish flu. Like, yeah. I just never want to think about it again. <laughs> yeah. And so right. for me, I was like, it would be a huge mistake to do it. I would be shooting myself in the foot to, you know, include this element that we all desperately want to move on from and never think about mm-hmm. again. Which is interesting. That was sort of where we were mentally in 2020 when we were like, any minute now, guys, like any yeah. minute now, let's go back to the old way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, right. Which now I think we recognize is just not a possibility after something that, yeah. you know, earth shaking. And my editor kind of quietly convinced me that the pandemic actually made a lot of sense. I didn't yet realize that it was going to be so instrumental to the character change. Mm. But she simply pointed out um you know, the pandemic was a period where living situations just got shaken mm. up in a really new and different way, where I knew lots of single people who just moved in with couples or people forming pods that, pods, you know, pods yeah. something we'd never Communities. heard before. Right, yeah. right. It was so, yeah. and it was like this intimacy. It was like these new families. There were people who were like on what was supposed to be a long weekend. And then like, that's where they ended up stuck for months mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. like, this big game of musical chairs and wherever you were, you got stuck. So she pointed out that it makes a lot more sense for somebody to move in with this couple and not have kind of a a power differential if it is during the pandemic. And then she also pointed out, and we kind of started joking about this even on the call. She was like, you know, if somebody, if you were to have, I don't know, a dead body in your house during the pandemic, who would know? If somebody went missing during the (laughs) pandemic, who would know? If you heard screaming next door, you would not go investigate. You know, there's yeah. so many reasons yes. that we all were kind of in these like locked room thrillers automatically. And it and as a thriller author, you often have to work pretty hard to explain, you know, why yeah, doesn't the I, character I, just mm-hmm. get yes. out of there? Why doesn't yes. the character just call 911? Why doesn't the character right. tell someone? And it really created this very universal and very familiar, very effective reason that, you know, she can't just leave. She has truly nowhere to go. Where's she going to go? And it made it, I think, a little bit more believable that there's all of this wild stuff happening behind closed doors that, like, we don't even know what people were doing during the pandemic. For months, we just didn't see them. Um, So she kind of made that argument and I was like, okay, okay, but I don't want to write a pandemic book. And she was like, I understand that. I think the pandemic Mm -hmm. is a backdrop and it's sort of this, you know, driving force that's like swept up in the the tornado of all of the happenings. Um, So, you know, when people ask, I try to explain like, don't worry, it's not about the pandemic. It's yeah. not about people getting COVID. In fact, the word COVID is not anywhere in the book, yeah. but it is just an element um, that helps explain how they find themselves in this particular predicament. Yeah. yeah, and the relatable, It's not. you're right, it's not a pandemic book, but it is important to know her as part of her journey, but that is the part everyone can relate to and has no problem going back to. Oh yeah, what did I rethink when, yeah, when that all happened? Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. It works on so many levels. Instead of the logistical, like, you know, you're not talking about, there's a a couple of masks references, but it's not, that is not the book. 
steps. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. a little bit of the setup, but but it's that moment of the pause and what are we going to do and what are we rethinking now that I would actually go back yeah. to many times, this kind of pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> or to get out of, I love the trance of busyness, that, yeah. that phrase. And I think that's the one thing most people look back on fondly, fondly. Uh, you know, about the pandemic. And like you said, we're, some of us, you know, you're not totally, hopefully back to the trance of busyness, but that's the part that Corinne is saying that people relate to, but actually do want to revisit because it was such an unprecedented time of of quieting yes. everything, you know, the noise, the busyness, the go, 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 the go. Commutes. The, right. Yeah. It was yeah. Dinners, That's the all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 And then sort of wrapped up in that is um our our identities as we saw them sort yeah. of reflected back from other people. Like mm-hmm. part of the reason that I finally, after 34 plus years, decided to date women was because I was thousands of miles emotionally and physically from my conservative Christian upbringing and parents. And I was hundreds of miles from my very close friends in New York City who, of course, are you know, allies, and it's not that they're homophobic, but they knew me in a certain way. Exactly. I felt like I was that person to them and with them. And it was just completely cut off from all that. So it was sort of like absent all of these outside things that I use to define mm-hmm. myself, like, who am I? Yeah. Who and am it was I? kind yeah. of this shocking and ultimately wonderful and liberating thing to realize like, oh, I'm queer. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. I love that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So Same. Let's talk about Sabrina. Um, mm-hmm. Through Kelly's lens, Sabrina is living this big and glamorous life. She's perfect, she thinks, when she's like looking through Sabrina's Instagram, as one does. And even before she arrives at the house, there's an intimacy between them, sort of an urgency to their messages and their sharing. So tell us about Sabrina. If if Kelly was more you, tell us about Sabrina and and where she comes from and how she's this counterpoint to Kelly. Yeah. So Sabrina is someone who Kelly forms this super close relationship with kind of because Sabrina is not a real person to her. Mm. And in that way that it's sometimes just easier to open up to people that you don't actually know in person. Um, I remember, you know, people telling secrets to like someone, a stranger they were playing words with friends with, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there is something about this person does not intersect with my quote unquote real life. They, you know, kind of exist as an idea in my mind. They seem from their social media incredibly glamorous and beautiful and smart and accomplished. And they have this sort of aura of amazingness around them. And for some reason, they like seem to like me and like bantering with me and like talking with me. And all of those things make Sabrina incredibly attractive to Kelly. And then when she gets to the house... It's this gorgeous mansion, you know, with a gated front door and it's within a gated community. There's a cemetery next door. It's very Mm -hmm. much this like cut off from the world feeling. And Sabrina and her husband, Nathan, like even kind of say that. That's why we love being here. It's really, you know, we're good at the us versus the world thing. Like we're really, this is our own little planet. And she willingly lets herself into it. And it's kind of an extension of, she already had this idea of like Sabrina is so perfect and wonderful and glamorous and above me. And now I'm in their home and their home is so beautiful and glamorous and incredible. And, you know, I'm part of this pod and Nathan's incredible too. So, you know, the entire book, it's first person. And so we're learning about Sabrina from 
Callie's point of view and Callie's point of view of Sabrina shifts throughout the novel as well as she starts to sort of recognize as we all do that whoever we are seeing with complete rose colored glasses is not actually perfect and Mm -hmm. the same way that this house looks so beautiful on the outside like there's you know secrets within and there's dark things that nobody wants to talk about and there's all sorts of stuff below the surface that like does not come through in those beautiful instagram photos so for me it was fun to sort of figure out who sabrina was what she was hiding, what was real and what was sort of an affect alongside Callie. Um, And once, you know, by the time I sort of got to the end of the draft, I felt like I finally had an understanding of this enigmatic um, sort of very buttoned up character. And then knowing that I could sort of do the exercise of going back through the manuscript and thinking like, okay, how would this scene play out from Sabrina's perspective? Like, what are her Mm -hmm. motives here? You know, what is she trying to hide? What is she trying to reveal? How is she trying to control the situation? Not even necessarily in a manipulative way, just the way that we all do as humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really added a richness to to figuring out, you know, is she is she a villain? Is she a ally? Is she like what role is she really playing? And and how is she sort of reading these same situations that Kelly is reading in a particular light? And I just love complicated women. I love playing with the knife's edge of like, am I being paranoid or is something actually going on? So Sabrina kind of became like the ultimate exercise in that. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And I love, I love where it all lands. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's also no secret that that intimacy that they kind of established in their messages before uh, Kelly arrives grows into real intimacy, romantic intimacy, sexual chemistry with Nathan and Sabrina. And there are some very hot, steamy (laughs) sex scenes. I want to hear about writing those. But I also want to talk about Kelly's agency in this all unfolding, because you could think that because she has come into a situation and discovers that they've had, they've opened their marriage before, that it might have been she's being duped, but she's not. She really has agency in this. She's enchanted by them. She's transformed. And one of the vehicles for that is uh, Sabrina is an author. And one of her characters, Taylor Finnegan, kind of reminds Kelly of herself. And as we watch Kelly grow bolder and more at ease, um, you write, if I could read a little bit, like I tapped into whatever fearless energy Taylor brought into the house and can channel it like a medium. I loved that. So tell us a little about Kelly's transformation and your decision to make her more, you know, to have her really be invested in this couple and and also writing the intimate scenes. Yeah. So writing a romantic relationship was pretty new for me. Like my past thrillers have really hinged more on friendships on platonic relationships. And it's funny because sometimes readers will say like, oh, but that friend must have really been in love with the with the protagonist. Mm. And I'm like, no, I, I genuinely believe that relationships that are just strictly platonic can be just as juicy and complicated oh, yeah. and codependent or manipulative <laughs> or gaslighting or any of those things. So, yeah. you know, this is my first time very intentionally writing a romantic relationship. And I have to tell you, I have always admired romance authors and rom-com authors, you know, because their books are super fun to read and can have wonderful plots and writing. But now that I have tried to write a romance, oh my God, it was so hard. It was so much harder than I thought it would be. I have my, you know, respect for them has just gone absolutely through the roof. 
because you're trying to slowly at the right pace uncover this balance of you know, interiority and sensations and interactions and dialogue and flirting and sexual tension and a brush of a hand and like mm -hmm. keeping all of yeah. that. And then for some reason, like an idiot, I had to do it in a, a triangle. Instead I was going to say, one you just jumped right in. You were like, I've never done any romantic relationships before. Let me start with a thruple. Let me start with a challenge. Thruple. It was it was very difficult because yeah, then you're managing Kelly's relationship with Sabrina, Kelly's relationship with Nathan, and then mm -hmm. Nathan's relationship with Sabrina, and then sort of the throuple dynamic all together. It was a lot. Um, so writing it was very difficult. One of the most difficult, you know, elements of writing this book. But the actual sex scenes were pretty fun to write. My editor had me scale some of them back in terms of. Um, the explicitness don't they always she had, she had me tone them down a little because she was like i think your readers like expect a certain thing and you know we can still make it steamy we can still make it spicy but like find ways to sort of uh give us less of a, a blow by blow and make it more sort of um a little more suggestive what's yeah. happening yeah okay. um what's interesting is that yeah people like you say oh my god there's so much steam in it but there's really only a couple sex scenes that are like written out that are in the front story yeah um and then other than that a lot of it is you know curtains down fade to black when something begins or curtains up and they're cuddling in bed afterward or just like a sentence to yeah. explain what's just happened but i think there is just hopefully something with the sexual tension yes, and yeah, that's what I was going to say between yeah, them yeah. that makes it feel like, oh, there's like a lot of heat, even if there's not a lot yeah. of explicit sex. Uh, I mean, yeah. I do. I don't try to read my own reviews, but I do disagree with the the reader who said trigger warning, lots of smut. I was like, I don't know if I would yeah. call it smut, but like, <laughs> God bless. No, um, no, I completely agree. Yeah. That is really what it is. And especially the build up to the first time when when mm -hmm. Kelly is not even sure what's what she's really experiencing and, and how to follow through with it. There was so much anticipation and tension and yeah. that is but what that's you really nailed. The, we love that. Listen, I, I am a huge yeah. fan of the romance genre, so I, I love all of that. But I think the anticipation or the suggestion, all oh, those Thank are, you. that that can dial it up even more than, as you're saying, a, an outwardly explicit sex scene. But yeah. oh, yeah. 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 And like thank that. you. And, you know, to address your questions about this, this Taylor Finnegan, this sort of fictional mm -hmm. character, that was actually a really late ad for me. Hmm. So in the manuscript, I always knew that um, Kelly and Nathan had opened up their relationship before. I knew that that was going to be a key part of the plot. And I was just having a lot of trouble. I was so focused on establishing the relationship in Act One, as you said. Uh, and then when you know we get to the point where she learns that their last lover is actually missing, it just didn't land because it was like sort of head spinning. Like, wait, there was someone else, and wait, what? I, I don't who I don't who is this person? Do I care that they're missing? What? Mm -hmm. And so I had the idea of having Sabrina an early in an early draft uh, Kelly did say to Sabrina like I would love to read an early draft if you don't mind right when she gets to the house and Sabrina just shuts it down and Sabrina's mm. like oh I don't let anyone read it and it's yet another reason that Kelly's kind of like oh my god like I'm screwing this up I like really want to make a good impression and I, I'm doing everything wrong so those elements were already kind of there 
And then I thought, what if Sabrina actually does change her mind not long after? And it's sort of this show of, um, you know, intimacy and trust. And like, I'm letting you into this world because I am. Mm -hmm. I never do this, but I'm letting somebody read my early manuscript. Mm -hmm. And then through it, she, Kelly begins to um, imagine herself as like the third person in this throuple story that Sabrina is writing. So in that way, she sort of like she did with Sabrina is able to build up Taylor in her mind as she just gives her so many characteristics, even though she doesn't know this person. Right. And she sees her as fearless and she sees her as sexy and uninhibited and, you know, somebody who just gives the middle finger to heteronormativity and all that boring stuff that I was so (laughs) sure I wanted. And so she thinks she's like kind of channeling this energy of this this ghost in the house, again, like kind of this gothic, you know, modern gothic throwback. Um, But in reality, she doesn't know anything about this woman. But because she feels so connected to her, hopefully it then packs an emotional punch when we realize that this woman you know, is missing, is is no longer accounted for, and something terrible could have happened to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't we love that about actual literature? Like, not just this, the characters. Like, that's what we love when we can see things and start to imagine ourselves doing mm-hmm. those things. They, they can be the the foundation for us to make real change in our own lives. I've done that many times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we're reading, yes, for escapism, yes, for entertainment, but also for empathy, right? So sort of watch her have that experience by inhabiting the shoes of a fictional character, um, hopefully made for sort of an effective vehicle for that that character change. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. I want to talk about a fun scene uh, that has gotten Corinne and I talking about something. So Nathan, Sabrina, and Kelly play a game of giving each other compliments after Sabrina asks, what's the compliment you like receiving the most? So Corinne got to this page before I did and asked me the same question, which made me laugh. She does this. We do this a lot over emails. We get in these like questions about things we're reading or conversations we've had with big authors questions. whatever. Yeah. Big yeah. questions. And we go back and forth. And this one was, you know, what's the compliment you like receiving the most? And I was, I just laughed. I'm like, I'm a Leo and an Enneagram three. There is, I've never met a compliment I don't like. I don't even understand what you're asking me. <laughs> um, but, but I do have some qualifications. Like they have to be genuine like truthful, like I don't like, you know, some people just like when people blow smoke up their eyes. I don't, mm-hmm. it has to feel real. And it often also depends on the person who's communicating the compliment. But generally speaking, I love them. Uh, meanwhile, Corinne generally speaking. Is, is so uncomfortable with them. Like she's terrified of the question. I, I'm, we, I only kind of forced her now to kind of give me some explanation of what the issue is here. So we're working through it on the sidebar. But it's such a strong, fun, like telling scene. So tell us about including it and writing it for you. And, and then also maybe where you fall on the compliment spectrum. Because you bring it back into in the acknowledgement. So I feel like this is not yeah. a throwaway scene. This is something you're kind of chewing on. Did I bring it back in the acknowledgments? I, I'm sure I did. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, oh, wait, wait. No, let me let me clarify. In the acknowledgments, you compliment all of us readers, oh. <laughs> right? You, you just say, finally, in case anyone needs to hear this today, you're beautiful and whole oh, exactly as you are, which I mean, I can't imagine a better I cried. compliment. I yeah. cried. And even I thought it was for me. <laughs> and See? even the first part of the announcement, people who've picked up my previous books know exactly yeah. whom to. I'll thank first. You. Hi, you're amazing. And I love you. 
I mean, I was kind of like, she's got compliments yes. on the brain. <laughs> That's fascinating. I never connected that myself. They felt like very distinct for me. Obviously, there were months and months in between, probably yes. over yeah. a year in between, mm-hmm. like writing the scene and then writing acknowledgments. That's the last mm-hmm. thing I put in the book. Um, but I think, yeah, when it came to the acknowledgments, it's just, first of all, very genuine that like, I don't have a job without a reader. So I'm incredibly mm-hmm. grateful that anyone bothers to to pick it up and spend time in this world I created. And I think the last line is because I kind of grew up in a, you know, stiff upper lipped Midwestern family where, you know, we were sort of praised for accomplishing things, but like really not, not mm-hmm. praised for uh, who we are, who we were exactly. Yes. Who we are. I was just um, telling Kate this: the difference between those two. I was just mm-hmm. like trying to describe it myself, but please go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just I remember I was at a, a yoga conference in like probably my late twenties, and we had yeah, I think we were in Shavasana at the end of the class, and the teacher just said that three times. He said, "You're beautiful and perfect exactly as you are." And by the third, I'm going to tear up saying yes, it. Like I was, by the see, third time I heard it. It struck me too. I have mm-hmm. goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, was I cried again. And I just thought, especially in this era where culture wars are, you know, at a fever pitch and, um, you know, que- suicide rates among queer people mm-hmm. are higher than they've ever been. And there's just um, a lot of shaming and, um, you know, non-acceptance of people for just existing for who they are. Yeah. I just felt it was important when I had this mouthpiece to say that to mm-hmm. readers um, and yeah. to remind them of that very simple truth. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the thinking there. As for the compliment discussion, I was asked that question for the first time in, I had sort of like a women's circle in the pandemic where we had different like teachers coming in and talking to us about Enneagram was one, was one session and like talking to us about um, just sort of different, like slightly woo woo, I guess Enneagram's not, but some of them are a little more woo woo than others. Just talking to us about these sort of, you know, spiritual things. And somebody asked that question and I had never thought about it before. And my answer was very much like Kelly's. It was like, Oh, well that I'm, I'm generous and that I'm good. And, you know, sort of implied with that is because then I'm worthy of love. Then I'm, then I'm lovable. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think all of my narrators and all of my books, all my protagonists have this deep fear of like not being enough, not being worthy, not being lovable. And somebody else commented like, Oh, that's interesting that like your answer I don't know exactly how I put it, but they said your answer really relates to like making other people feel good and really isn't about you, but is about how you are sort of reflected back on other people. Mm-hmm. And so that stuck with me. And when I was writing this scene, um, yeah, I, I it popped into my head and I was sort of curious to see what Nathan and Sabrina would say. I mean, I do all of my writing without an outline and they're just constantly surprising me. Yeah. And then later, as the plot was really thickening and taking zigs and zags at the end, I recognized how telling it was uh, that they identified themselves. Um, you know, it's sort of a, it's, it's a tell. It's a way to align yourself with your values, right? And sort of your core yeah. philosophy on life. Uh, so it's like kind of a deceptively simple question. Yeah. So I think, I think, I don't even know what my answer would be now. It's <laughs> really, mm-hmm. see, no one's asked me again in a while. I was going to ask yeah. you this. Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. 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 I think the compliment I like receiving the most 
is that I, I don't know, I guess maybe that I, that I accept myself and others and by accepting myself, make others feel Hmm. more okay to just be. Mm. So I guess there is still an element of other people, but I'm trying to bring myself into it now as well. It reminds me, speaking of that, um, you know, what Corinne, you said you were trying to explain, it makes me think about the difference between guilt and shame. Whereas like guilt is the, you know, regret and bad feelings you have about what you did. Did. Whereas shame is the regret and bad feelings about who Who you are. are. And Mm -hmm. shame is something that like, again, another theme in all of my books, there is this deep shame running through my characters that hopefully through different scenarios they're sort of pulling out into the light and recognizing and and seeing how much of it is societal and coming from a society that tells women and and other non-male genders that you know it hates them and that they are not yeah. worthy yeah so yeah yeah what would both of yeah. you i mean what was your I still have not, I don't have one. And if I did my first 15, I'm still workshopping it because my first 15 would definitely be like that I help you. Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, th- yeah. like it would be mm-hmm. always reflective of what I've done for someone else and not about mm. me. So because I, she's an Enneagram too. I, am, not to, I know that that's the most yeah. I've said about the Enneagram in a long time, but yes. it happens to be, keep coming up. But yeah, because a helper. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so it is about, and you putting herself last. I'm speaking for Corinne. Yes. She um, knows. She knows. So. Yes. Yeah. And so I don't know. We, we're, we are still workshopping it ourselves <laughs> in our emails. I mean, I owe her a response. I won't do it on here, but I think mine, I'm starting to think would be ones where I feel seen mm. by them. I got a big thing over here about being seen with a capital S. And so... If somebody says something to me that is complimentary, that really feels like they see me, that feels like times a million, whatever the compliment is. So, yeah, yeah. but still, I got that's a little vague, but I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's still a great telling. question. Yeah, it's a it great question. And thank yeah. you. Yes, we. It's rare that we pick up on something and like it feels like there was some energy around it in the book. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. I said, in the acknowledgments, it made me also. I, I was almost uncomfortable in a good way. But by your acknowledgments, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, it really touched me. And so, yeah, me too. Yeah, same with Kate. We had both had the same reaction. So there was definitely a lot of energy around it. And so we love to to unpack those things. Andy, we're running up against time. I know I asked for 30 to 40 minutes. Should we just skip to astrology, Kate? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we're, since we're on the woo-woo, woo-woo. Uh, mm-hmm. topic as it is. We always talk about astrology. We always ask our authors what their sign is and and if they relate to it. But I have to say, you gave me a really interesting in because your cat, the cat, Kelly's cat in in the spare room is named Virgo, which of course makes me think of the logical, practical, systematic maiden that's the sixth sign of the zodiac. But I don't know if that's where you were coming from when you named the cat Virgo. Was Virgo on your mind or just a name? I have to confess that this does not fit my personality at all, but like I know very little about, for whatever reason, like astrology does not really resonate with me. And I, like, I'm a Reiki practitioner, like tons of this stuff does, but just for whatever reason, I've never gravitated towards it. So like, I don't even know what a Virgo personality is. Yeah, yeah. I think the reason that the cat was named that was that in an earlier draft, Virgo actually led Kelly to like literally led Kelly to something important Mm. and so there was a line where she like kind of 
whispers to the cat, are you my Virgil leading, leading me toward, you know, into the deepest circles of hell. Mm. And I was like, Virgil sounds too masculine. So I just switched it to Virgo. Oh my gosh. So it's sort of meaningless. I mean, I'm sure on some yeah. subconscious level, I had something going on with it. I love it. Um, I also did not think at all about the fact that like I gave Kelly a birthday because we see her yes. celebrate a birthday in yeah. August and I have no idea what, uh, you know, sign of the Zodiac she has and if it matches her personality at all. Yeah. But um, I am, I'm May 1st. I'm a Beltane baby. So I'm a Taurus. Yes. Um, and I think I'm like very much a Taurus. I'm very, you know, yeah, because you I, don't I believe love, in astrology. I was just going to say, the that's number one Taurus. thing about Taurus is to not believe in astrology. They're too... <laughs> there you go, see? I this, didn't know that. That's perfect. They're um, too practical to find a too use practical. for it. And and also, mm-hmm. it's something that you weren't taught when you were young, mm-hmm. most likely. So, mm-hmm. and as a fixed earth sign, it's like moving mountains, right? It's not going to happen unless it really comes from inside you being mm-hmm. told you're like, no, I, I got to either experience this or I have had to have learned it a long time ago. But yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Interesting. Well, then I guess I'm like the ultimate Taurus because I'm like, yeah, all right. It like pretty much suits me. But like, I bet a lot of the other ones would do like... Right. By the way, you'll find you they wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, okay. yeah. who does that? You're like, you wouldn't even believe that that's a person. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. But I love, like, again, we, we have a lot of woo-woo interests here. Um, so if astrology is not yours, but you mentioned Reiki, and, I mean, you're a Reiki practitioner. I mean, I just have to ask. I, I've only done Reiki, like, maybe three or four times, but I'm super interested in it. So you actually do it. Yeah, I actually do it. I got wow. I got um, certified Reiki level two. God, at this point, 12, 13 years ago, a very long time ago. I mean, I've never pursued it very professionally, but I can do Reiki mm-hmm. on myself. I can do Reiki on wow. friends. I can I can do it remotely. I haven't done that in a long time, but I can do it remotely. And mm-hmm. I just find it to be sort of a cue for um, all of those healthy processes that happen when we're in meditation or when we're in, you know, doing breath work or like any of those things. Like for me, it happens very quickly. And uh, because I guess I am a Taurus and have that sort of mind, like I, my little spiel before I give somebody a treatment for the first time is um, something like, you know, even the most allopathic Western doctor in the world agrees that the brain has a huge impact over the rest of the body. And this is an hour that we are, you know, focusing on triggering self-healing. We know that the body has an incredible ability to heal itself. And that's what we're tapping into. And so you don't need to believe it. You don't need to actually feel convinced that that, you know, universal life force, pure love energy is, you know, coming through my palms into your body. You can believe whatever you want to think and it can still have a really profound impact. And so I kind of start with that to like calm many fears. Um, and yeah, but I love, I love all the woo-woo stuff. I do tarot readings for myself, sometimes for other people, sometimes We're for my obsessed. characters to figure out what's oh. next. Oh, yeah, and I just yeah. have this feeling about all of it that like, maybe none of it's true, but like, isn't it more magical to believe in this world where all of these things, Amen. you have some, like, what's wrong with that? This is oh, what we you say. are speaking our language. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We love the tarot as well. Yes. And I just feel like as writers, um, we've gotten a lot of authors that well, really that's what originally turned us on to it. But but it is the archetypes and the stories. Mm-hmm. It goes also with the writer's brain, I think, too. For but, sure. Absolutely. But we love it too. So yeah. 
any ways we can figure ourselves out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. More tools for that. Do you have a minute to tell us what you're loving right now? Any books or TV shows, anything you want to recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I just finished Yellow Jackets uh, season two. I am still loving it. It's so creepy and weird and unlike anything else on TV. And I just love all the sort of female rage and shame. I mean, speaking about those like shadow parts and stuff that we don't like women and girls to, Mm -hmm. to have and reveal. So I loved Yellow Jackets. I loved The Last of Us. It took me a few episodes to get into. And then I just became so impressed with the storytelling. So anyone watching it, I highly recommend staying for the inside the episode that comes up after uh, the credits. Because uh, I feel like I just learned so much about effective storytelling by listening to, I think it's the writer and the producer or something like that, talking about how they sort of conceived every episode and, and made it work. Um, in terms of reading, I... I'm currently reading a book that I don't think it comes out till 2024. This is the problem. I read everything yeah, I know. Yes. before it yes. actually comes out. Yeah. But I'll put a plug in now so that it, you know, maybe we'll mm-hmm. stick. Um, I'm reading Jenny Hollander's Everyone Who Can Forgive oh, Me is Dead. Yes. Super creepy and fun and surprisingly funny. Um, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I just read Megan Abbott's Beware the Woman, which is very, I mean, she is absolutely the master of just like, feeling emotion creepiness like she really has such a creepy vibe in this book that i loved yes um and i haven't started yellow face but like everyone else i am super excited to read it and that's very high up on my list um and i could go on and on but i'll i'll stop there those are great ones Uh, jenny and i share an agent so i'm excited to get my hands on that too oh amazing yeah Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun you'll enjoy it yes oh good all right well fantastic thanks so much for joining us today and the spare room is out now thank you so much for having me this was so fun thank you for the great questions oh good thank you